Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. Well, we've begun this new series called Reconciled. We're looking at what does it look like for us to pursue reconciliation in our relationships. And last week I shared about uh, an area that I need to be pursuing some reconciliation with my furnace. So la- you know, last week I shared that our furnace went out and uh, we had some repair guys come out and it's likely we're going to have to replace the whole thing. Well, we have a home warranty. And that's where the saga continued. So we made a phone call, placed the claim, and, and virtually got nothing. And so I'll be honest, I was angry. I was like, why did I buy this thing if it's not going to come through? And I'm, I'm petitioning and I'm appealing. But I, I share that, not to talk about the injustice of home warranties or anything like that, but to share that I noticed in myself something rise up when it came to the conflict. Like I'm, I'm making a phone call to somebody, I have no idea who's on the other line. I know his name, but I know nothing about him. But here, we're having a relationship over the phone about this home warranty thing, and, and here is conflict rising up. And what I noticed about myself is that I had the desire to pull back from it. To avoid it. Like, I didn't want to go after this. I didn't want to dive in to, like, trying to figure all this out. Like, I just had that tendency where it's like, I just don't want to do this. I just want it to all be okay. I want it to work out on its own. Like, I just want to do this. Do you relate to that? Have you had these moments where you're talking to somebody on the phone or talking to somebody face-to-face? Whether you know them well or know them intimately. Where it's just like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to try and tackle this. I don't want to go through the hard work of resolving this, of trying to work it out. These moments come, don't they? And today, this is one of the things that I want us to address as we continue in our series. So we're in this series. um, we're, We're looking at how we resolve conflict. What does it look like for us to pursue reconciliation in our relationships? And last week, we started with the why. Like, why do we do this? Why, why can we do this? Why should we do this? And it really centers on this one idea that's because of Jesus. He has reconciled us to the Lord. We are now reconciled to God because of Christ. And because of that, we reconcile with one another. And that's why I love that our tagline for this series is this. It's through him for others. It's not just for us. It's not just so that we get something like, hey, okay. But we turn that outward and share the reconciliation we've experienced with Jesus with one another. We share that with other people around us. We embody who Jesus is by the way that we relate to other people. So that's why, that's why we reconcile. Well, today, I want to tackle the next question. It's what? What is reconciliation? What is this all about? Because I, I continue, this, this is an idea that, that's true. Like, we all have conflict in our relationships. We, we all have brokenness that emerges in our relationships. This is true. Like, it's just a fact of life. We, we face conflict. Why we pursue reconciliation is because we've been reconciled to Jesus. 
But what is it that we're actually talking about? Like if we have this conflict, what does it mean for us to be reconciled? So that's what I want to tackle today. I want to answer what is reconciliation? What is it not? What is not reconciliation? And what gets in the way? When are you like me on the phone with the home warranty guy and something's happening that it's getting in the way? What's getting in the way? So how I want to do this, I want to do it in four parts. I want to look at a text that's going to surface the, the, the rise of how we got to our definition that we talked about last week. So what is it? But then I want to take a tangent in exploring forgiveness. And we'll talk about why we're doing that in just a minute. And then I want to look at what, what it's not. What is reconciliation not or when does it not happen? And then I want to talk about the barriers. Why do we not pursue it sometimes? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to do those four parts. So I invite you, if you would, turn with me to Matthew 18. We're going to be looking at verses 15 through 20. So Matthew 18, it's the first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 18. We're going to be looking at verses 15 to 20. And feel free to use your phone if you've got a Bible app or pull out your, your physical Bible if you brought that with you. So we will primarily live in this one. I'm going to cite a few other places in Scripture that I'll, uh, I'll reference here, but just know that we're going to camp our time primarily in chapter 18. So follow along with me, if you would, beginning at verse 15. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen to you, then take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church, the assembly, the gathered people. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whenever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Verse 19, again, I truly tell you that if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. So this is the text that gave rise to this entire series. Um, a few series ago, we, we, we just finished Exodus not that long ago. Before that, we did a series on misinterpreted verses. If you were here for that, you, you might remember it. This was one of the passages that we tackled. Because we've heard that, that last line a lot, right? If you've been in church for a long time, you've probably been in a prayer circle where, where someone has said, where two or three are gathered, there you are, Lord. That's your promise. And that's true. But we see here that there's nuance to that. And that's what we, we talked about when we looked at this verse. Well, we're coming back around. That context is conflict. And so what I want to do is I want to walk through this passage and, and highlight a few key things that I think we need to see as we're defining what reconciliation really is. Now, to do that, I want to bring back our definition. This is what we started with last week. Reconciliation is the restoration of a relationship to healthy flourishing, and appropriate. It's the restoration of a relationship to healthy, flourishing, and appropriate. Now, where do we get all that stuff? We're going to expand on that today. So back to the text, verse 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, if someone sins against you, there's a problem between the two of you, 
you go out and point their, point their fault out to them just between the two of you. Now, again, Jesus is talking like, hey, if, if there's sin between you two, yeah, go work it out one-on-one. Start there. Now, I, I'm curious if you've heard this passage preached before. Maybe it's been in the context of things like church discipline, right? It's like, ooh, okay, if there's sin, if there's problem, where does there need to be correction? This is how we do it. I'm curious, if you're walking in with an assumption or, or maybe some experience with this text where it's been like, this is how we get rid of somebody. This is how we, we remove somebody from our fellowship. This is how we discipline somebody. We want to pursue rightness in our relationships. But notice what Jesus is doing here. He's talking to his disciples and he says, if there's sin between you two, if there's sin to you is the literal Greek. Sometimes this text has been used, probably rightly so, if like here's how we can go about correction. But this is, this is not primarily or first and foremost about what do we do in, when something is bad in someone's life regardless of anything else. What this is talking about is relationships and conflict and how to seek restoration. So what we see here is that Jesus is pointing to a reality, like we are to be restoring one another. So a couple of key insights that I want to highlight from the text. So so number one, this is a process. Notice the whole context of, of this passage. There's steps to pursue. There may be multiple elements in how we pursue reconciliation. It's a process. This is not a one-and-done thing most of the time. Sometimes it may just simply be a conversation. But there may be more involved. Jesus is highlighting the fact that there is process that might be taking place here. And he lays out what that process can look like. And first you kind of start here, and then you move this direction and then this direction. Like, and it may take time to get there. So there's steps involved. Jesus is highlighting that there's a process. Number two, and this is probably the one that is most important, I think, in the text, is the goal is to restore. Again, if you've heard that this is church discipline and it's about the negative side of things, it's like, what do we do when there's a problem? What do we do to fix it? How do we purge the wrong that's in our midst? Jesus is going after something better. He's going after restoration. See, notice in verse 15, If someone sins against you, point out their fault. And if they listen to you, you have won them over. The goal is to get them to listen. And listening is not just like, I hear what you're saying and I understand it. The goal is listening as in to respond and to do and for things to change. Like it's back to the Old Testament. God's calling the people, listen to what I'm saying. Listen to my commands. I'm not telling you, do you hear it? Okay, we're good now. Like, no, I'm telling you to do it. The goal here is for change to take place. The goal is restoration. But a little more context, what happens right before this text is the whole conversation started when the disciples in the beginning of the chapter say, hey, Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom? Jesus grabs a a little kid and says, a child like this. This is the greatest in the kingdom. Someone who is lowly and humble This is the kind of person who's great in the kingdom of God. And he said, then, if anyone causes someone like this to stumble, 
causes them to, to, to struggle. Woe to that person because that's a really big deal. What he says is they should just jump in the, in the water and drown themselves. It's better for that to happen. But if someone's causing you to stumble, like, woe to that person. That's what Jesus is saying here. And he's, he's offering drastic language. But then he tells them a story. He's like, God, God doesn't want anyone to perish. And let me illustrate. Just like a shepherd who has 100 sheep and one wanders away. He's going to leave the 99 and go find that one sheep and rescue it. Because he wants none to wander away. He wants all to be in the fold. He wants all to be restored. And it's after that story that he begins this passage. So if someone sins against you, what do you do? Restore them like the shepherd. All along the way, he's outlining a process to say, how do we seek restoration? The goal is not to cut someone out. The goal is to restore them, to restore to healthy and flourishing even if sometimes it does have to go this way. So when you hear Jesus talking about this, the goal is restoration. I think sometimes we, we rush to the end. It's like, how do we, how do we get rid of the problem because I want to avoid it? No. How do we seek to restore somebody? That's the goal. That's what Jesus wants to highlight here. The goal is restoration. That's number two. Number three, but change is necessary. See, notice when he says, like, okay, go point out their fault. And if they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they don't listen to you, they don't change. Things consistently stay as they are. Well, then bring a couple more people. And if still not, then, you know, bring it to the, the church. Like, and still not, then something's got to change. Because in the end, in verse 17, treat them as you would a, a pagan or tax collector. Like, now there's a change in the relationship. What Jesus is highlighting here is that change is necessary. Change is necessary. We must pursue restoration in the right kind of way. Change is necessary. Now, verse 17. Treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. We often think of like, okay, then we got to treat them as someone like, you're a heathen, you're out here. Like, there does need to be a change. There does need to be, you know, some sort of shift in the relationship. But I want to ask you this question. How did Jesus treat tax collectors? How did Jesus treat them? We have a great example. Matthew, a tax collector, is sitting at his booth. In Matthew 9, we see this story play out. Jesus shows up and says, follow me. Matthew gets up and starts following him. And what do they go do? They go eat a meal together. Jesus has dinner with Matthew. And who else shows up? Sinners and tax collectors. And they're all sharing a meal together. And the Pharisees, they catch wind of this and kind of see what's going on. They're like, why would you eat with them? And he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I came for the sick. I came for those who know their need. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's what Jesus is saying when he's like, treat someone like a tax collector. There does need to be a change in the relationship. Tax collectors were viewed as outsiders. But how do we treat outsiders? With hospitality and openness. I think what Jesus is saying here is we're always open to reconciliation. 
We're always pursuing it, even if there does need to be a change in the relationship. So change is necessary. But be like Jesus in how we pursue that. That's number three. Number four, Jesus is with us in the, pro- in the process. See, verses 18 and 19 and 20, Jesus gets there. He, he kind of lays out the process. And then what does he say? He's like, whatever you bind on earth or loose on earth will be bound or loosed in heaven. Now, what he's not saying is like, whatever you decide how things go, then that's going to be true for eternity. I think what he's actually saying is when the gathering, the community discerns what is right here and what is good, you're going to discern the Lord's leading. And there will be echoes in all of that. But through it all, I am with you. Because that's where we get the statement in verse 20. Where two or three are gathered, there I am with them. The promise is that Jesus is with us in our pursuit of reconciliation. So this text is showing us, like, here's what it looks like. Here's the process. Here's kind of how you go about it. But ultimately, the goal is to restore. Change is needed. It's got to happen but we're meant to pursue restoration. And he's going to help us do it. So I say all that. I want to pause. What's rising up inside of you? Because I want to ask this question. Is it your desire to pursue reconciliation? Do you desire to seek this restoration? Or are you like me on the phone and I'm like, I don't want to do this. Is it your desire to seek that restoration? We asked you last week, if you were here, um, to do one thing in particular. To pray for seven days, even if it's just 30 seconds each of those days, but pray for seven days about a relationship where there needs to be reconciliation. If you did that, thank you for doing that. If you didn't, that's okay. But I'm curious, what did you notice? Did you notice like, yes, I long for this, I want to go for it? Or did you notice like, Nope, I kind of don't want to. I really don't want to go after that. I just kind of want to stay over here and I just want to be content like this. Like, this is fine, even if it's not. Is the desire there to pursue reconciliation? I just want to let that question linger because we're going to come back to that. Do we honestly and earnestly really want to seek this? Or is there something else in the way? So, we're defining what is reconciliation? What is it? Well, I need to to go after one other thing. So the next thing I want to talk about is the next element that comes in the chapter. Peter is the one who surfaces it. And he talks about forgiveness. So look down with me at verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? So what what Peter's doing here is he's asking the question like, okay, forgiveness, like how often do we do this? And there was a common rabbinic teaching that you give somebody three chances. You give them one, two, three on the fourth. Nope. It's wisdom to say like this is done. But here Peter's showing he's learned a little bit from Jesus. Eh, It's not three, right? Is is it seven? Like that's that's a perfect number, right? Like seven times? Here's what Jesus replies. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. 
Or maybe your translation is 70 times 7. What is Jesus talking about here? Is it the rabbinic teaching like, okay, you give them three chances and then, then, then they're out? No, 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 it's not that. Or, or Peter, it's like seven times on the eighth, then no more? Or, or Jesus, is he saying 77 times or, or 70 times 7, 490? And then on the 491st, not anymore. No. What Jesus is talking about is forgiveness is continually offered. We go to the furthest extent that we can. We are always pursuing forgiveness. And then what does he do? He goes on and tells a story, right? That's Jesus' pattern. Let me teach you something here, and I'll do it with a story. So he tells a parable about a servant who owed a lot of money. The the scriptures describe it as 10,000 talents or 10,000 bags of gold. It's like $10 billion. So it's like Jesus like, yeah, this guy owes $10 billion. How would you rack up that kind of debt? Like, really? And so it's, it's one of these things like, this is an astronomical number. The servant comes to the king's like, I can't pay it back, but please be patient with me. What does the king do? He forgives it. He looks at him with mercy, and he says, the debt, this $10 billion debt is canceled. Oh, whoa. But then there's a twist. The servant goes to another servant who owes him some money. Said, hey, you owe me a couple thousand bucks. I want that money right now. Pay me back. Please be patient with me. No, 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 no. Pay me back. I'm throwing you in jail. Ooh. There's a tension. The king hears about this. And the king's like, dude, I just forgave you $10 billion. You can't forgive your friend a couple thousand And the point that Jesus lands on is that we, we have been forgiven a lot. We've been forgiven much. We should forgive one another in the same way. That's where he's landing. That's what he's trying to point to. So forgiveness, forgiveness is given unendingly. So here's a definition I want to just kind of throw out to you. What are we really talking about? It's to release from debt or guilt for a wrong. It's we release someone from that debt, the owed thing that they might need to give us. We release them from that debt. We release them from the guilt, the burden of it for a wrong. This is what forgiveness is. But I want you to notice something. Forgiveness is not quite the same thing as reconciliation. So some quick insights from this text. What we see here is that forgiveness, forgiveness is that we've received it. We've been forgiven much. Like that is true of us. That's that's our state of being. God has forgiven us immensely. We are the first servant who had that $10 billion debt. God has forgiven us. This is what he has done with our sin. There's no way that we could pay it back. We've been forgiven. Jesus paid for it with his life on the cross. This debt, I'm going to pay for it with something infinite myself. And I'm going to offer that to you. We have been forgiven much. But notice also that forgiveness is not just a washing over. It's not just sweeping things under the rug. It actually acknowledges the damage. That's the second thing. The king in this story had the debt. Like, there's $10 billion that's owed to me. Somebody's got to have to swallow that. The king decides, like, I'll take care of it. Jesus comes in and says, I'll take care of it. The debt 
is still there. Forgiveness acknowledges the debt, acknowledges the damage. It doesn't sweep it under the rug. It doesn't minimize it. It names the reality that it is. It acknowledges the damage. But what forgiveness does is it makes the most important thing the important thing, and that's people. So number three is forgiveness honors the image of God in people. What is the most important thing? The money that is owed to me or this person? That's what forgiveness says. You are more important. You as a person bearing the image of God is more important than the damage done. Forgiveness comes in and says, this is what is most important. You are. And that's what we see here. When the tension of the servant, like he's received this because the king has said, you are valuable, I'm going to forgive your debt. But then he doesn't show that to the other servant. He's minimizing him. He's dehumanizing him. And the king comes in and says, no, you've missed it. So forgiveness honors the image of God in people. But then finally, it releases the offender. And you. There is debt that needs to be paid. It has to be dealt with. Like, it exists. It's true. Forgiveness doesn't just swipe it away. It just says, okay, there's damage here. There's debt. We acknowledge that. I release you from it. You are not in the bondage, not under the slavery of this reality. You are released. You are forgiven. But it also forgives us or releases us. See, when we don't forgive, what happens? Bitterness. Resentment. The pain. The difficulty and the challenge of the the situation. All of that rests on us. Forgiveness says this is true. It's broken. And we release from the consequences of it. When we do that, we give up the bitterness. We give up the resentment. We let go of the challenge that it is. We are set free. Forgiveness is as much for the offender as the offended. Those of us who, when we are hurt, when we forgive, we no longer live in that reality. We move on from it. It is a release for us. That's what forgiveness is. And so what we see in this parable and what Jesus is teaching is that we are to forgive unendingly. Seventy times seven, keep going for the sake of the other person, but also for yours. So if you've got a situation, you're living in the challenge You're living in the brokenness. You've got this waywardness in a relationship. You are suffering under that. Offer forgiveness because you will be released from it. Now, don't hear me say that this will be easy. Forgiveness is not just like, okay, I forgive you and everything's all better. Not at all. As we've already seen, like Jesus is laying out, there's a lot of work that has to happen in mending relationships. But what we see, I think, is that forgiveness is a decision and a process. There's a moment where we've got to decide, I'm choosing to forgive someone. Maybe I don't feel it. Maybe I don't want to. 
but I choose it. And I begin to live in that forgiveness, live in the releasing that takes place. That might take a while. It might even take you a while to get to that choice. But the call is to choose to forgive. And the call is to live into that forgiveness. Forgive unendingly. That's what Jesus is calling us to do right here in chapter 18. So, we are called to forgive. That's true. And and Jesus speaks very clearly and very seriously about how we're to pursue this. Like, do this because it's best. It's best for you and best for others. Forgive. Forgiveness should always happen. We're called to that. We are not always called to reconcile. There is a difference between these two things, and I want to explore that difference now by looking at what reconciliation is not. So I want to, I want to contend with you this idea that some relationships will not end in reconciliation. We actually have already seen that. Verse 17, treat someone as you would a pagan or tax collector. There is a change in the relationship. We are no longer relating the same way we used to. It hasn't ended in reconciliation. Yet Jesus will go on and say, forgive. Forgive unendingly. So there's a difference. Forgiveness is something we are called to do, for sure. We should be pursuing it. But sometimes things will not end in reconciliation. Sometimes it won't go that way. So when should we not reconcile. When do we not reconcile a relationship? Well, let's go back to the text. What did we see play out in the process? We see that someone goes to another, and, and if they listen to you, great. If they don't, bring two other people. And if they still don't, bring the church. And if they still don't, now a change in the relationship. Did you notice there was no repentance or change? Change is necessary. For there to be reconciliation, there has to be a change. It has to be a two-way street. Two people have to work together to seek restoration. If there's not change, there can't be reconciliation. If there's no repentance, there can't be reconciliation. It has to shift. That's what we see Jesus telling us here. The wrong that's been perpetuated cannot continue. What is wrong is wrong. It has, to be, it has to be mended. It has to be worked through. There has to be change. There has to be acknowledgement. If there isn't, there can be forgiveness. I forgive you. Nah, I don't need it. Okay. But we can't relate to one another like we used to. So we have to see change. We have to see re- repentance and progress. So number one, that's true. But number two... For us to not pursue reconciliation, it would not be a God-honoring relationship. That's another factor. So if, if something were to happen and, and we were to have a, a, a situation where it's like, okay, we, we're going to pursue reconciliation, but to do so would put us in a place where we're not actually operating and living in the kind of relationship that God wants us to, then we shouldn't be pursuing it. What I have in mind here is abuse. If you've been abused in a marriage, in some other kind of relationship, whether phys- physically, emotionally, sexually. Abuse is a deep-seated kind of thing. Can God redeem and fully restore and heal somebody? Yes. But this is the kind of relationship 
that may not lead to reconciliation. There are some instances where it's just not wise, just not safe to come back to the way things were. An illustration that you could probably get is someone who murders another person. Someone takes someone else's life. The family, they might come around and say, we forgive you. They might even show kindness and mercy to that person. But they're not going to necessarily go out to lunch. They're not, this person needs to be held accountable. That's why we have the judicial system that we do. Someone who's taken another's life, that's a serious kind of thing. We don't just let them walk free. They say, oh, I'm sorry. They have to show that change. And if that change doesn't happen, they're dangerous to other people. That's why they're incarcerated. Maybe the relationship is such that it's dangerous to you. Abuse can often be that. So if you're in a situation where you're just not sure if it can actually get to healthy, flourishing, and appropriate, then it may not be wise to pursue reconciliation fully. There may be some indicators it's just like this is not going to work. How do we know that? How do we know if, if something isn't, if it's, if it's serious and drastic, it's going to take years of progress to get there. And it just may not materialize in time. That's an indicator. If you see a lack of true change, maybe someone says, oh, I'm sorry, and they begin to do some things like, that's great, those are great indicators. You need to see continued progress. If they kind of flip back, if they fall back, they get back into old patterns and habits, that is a red flag. There needs to be continual progress, continual movement forward. And you may have something like this third little bullet here. There may be a partial reconciliation, a partial restoration. Hey, you know, my business partner, we we can be friends, but we, we can't work together anymore. You stole money from me. I can't really bring money back into our relationship. That's wisdom. If someone is able to change, great. But they've got to demonstrate it. They have to show it. They have to prove it. And so sometimes you might get part of the way there. But if someone is embezzling money, if they lie to you perpetually, like you can maybe have some measure of relationship. But maybe not all of it. It's when you see the true change demonstrated, the fruit of the tree, if you will. Those are the kinds of indicators that can tell you to keep going. But when it's not there, when there's not the possibility of full, complete change, then it is not wise to pursue full reconciliation. If I could boil this down to one thing for you, here it is. It's the word trust. Trust. Trust rebuilding is the key. Can you trust the person? Can they trust you? Are you being trustworthy? These are the kinds of things that have to be in place for us to continue on the path of reconciliation. And if it's not there, you got to slow down, you got to stop, or you got to turn. We can be kind and loving to people. We can be open and hospitable, but that doesn't always guarantee that we will be reconciled. And this is actually embedded in the gospel. So if you want one place to, to see it, it's, it's in faith. What is, what is a, a synonym for faith? It's trust. Jesus has died for us. He has forgiven us. He has offered us the redemption that we need. We can take hold of it. How? By faith. By trust. 
If we don't have faith, if there's not the trust there, then there's no reconciliation. This is how it works. So if you're looking to discern, can I move forward? Is trust growing? Is trust continuing to rise? Is both sides of the equation growing in greater trust with one another? That is the key. We are to pursue reconciliation. We're to go after it. But sometimes it doesn't come to fruition. So that's what Jesus is pointing to here. There are times when we can easily and rightly pursue reconciliation, but there are times when it's not. We can have um, hope and openness and be hospitable to the idea, but it may not come to fruition. And that is okay. That's okay. But here's what's not okay. You see, Jesus is calling us to forgive. He's calling us to pursue reconciliation, but sometimes things get in the way because of us. And what Jesus is calling us to do is to be the kinds of people who don't put the barriers in the way. Sometimes reconciliation doesn't happen because we choose not to pursue it. And is that true for you? Come back to the phone with me. I didn't want to. Like, I had that desire of, like, I just want to hang this phone up. I don't want to go after this. Why? Sometimes there are things inside of us that get in the way. Maybe it's fear. You're afraid that if you bring it up, it's going to make things worse. The conflict's going to escalate. If you start talking about, hey, there's this problem, and suddenly it's like, whoa, this is way more than I wanted to handle. Maybe you're afraid of that. Or maybe you're afraid of having someone be mad at you. Right now they don't know anything, and it's like, I can deal with that. Is it fear? Or maybe it's your own culpability. The things that you bring into the relationship that just aren't quite right. My experience as a pastor, I've been doing this for a little while, very rarely is it 100% someone's fault. Sometimes it is. That does happen. But very rarely. Sometimes it's more like 80-20 or 60-40 or 50-50. And sometimes when we, when we surface a conflict, when we confront somebody, we're confronted with our own baggage. The stuff that we've got to work on. And that, that's hard. We don't want to confront that part of us sometimes. So maybe it's that. Maybe you enjoy the power of victimhood. So when you, when you have someone that, who, who does something wrong to you and you tell somebody else about that, and they're like, oh man, I'm mad with you, and suddenly you're like, yeah, like I'm the one who's right here, and, and there's a power that comes with that. And right there, we have a choice to make. What are we going to do with that? Are we going to leverage it to restore the relationship? Are we going to enjoy being right? Do we care more about being right or relating rightly? Do we like the power of that position where it's like, I know I'm right, and other people agree with me, and I've got everybody in my corner against you? Do we enjoy that? Do we enjoy being able to say, like, yep, I can get what I want out of this now? And do we leverage it as manipulation? Do we gossip about it because it gives us power? Maybe sometimes we're, we want somebody else to take responsibility. It's like, they should come to me. They did the wrong. They hurt me. They should come to me. What is it that Jesus says in verse 15? When a brother or sister sins against you, go. Go. 
He didn't say wait. He didn't say let them come to you. He says go. We're not to enjoy the power that comes with that. We're to leverage it for the sake of other people. So what is it for you? What's getting in the way? What Jesus is telling us here is that we are called to pursue reconciliation. That's the big idea. That's what all of this ties to. We are called to pursue it. We're to do what we can to pursue reconciliation. But I ask you this question, what prevents you from going after it? What prevents you from pursuing reconciliation? What's getting in the way? Is it something that's true about the situation? It's just not safe? Okay, that's wise. Are you just resistant? You just don't want to. Whether out of fear, whether out of your position of power, like I enjoy this, or some, so what is it? What's getting in the way? Jesus steps in and reminds us we've been forgiven, we've been reconciled. We're called to pursue it too. Pursue it wisely and carefully, doing all that we can to bring about healthy and flourishing, bring about right kind of trust and honesty. But are we getting in our own way? I encourage you, if you've got a situation, a relationship, something that you're thinking of, evaluate, am I holding myself back? Am I not allowing myself to move forward? Or am I doing all that I can to pursue reconciliation? Because that's what we're called to do. We're called to pursue reconciliation.